This is the Inner Voice Audio Experience, and I'm your host, Travis McKenzie. Endurance athletes spend a lot of time in their own heads, and their own self-talk can either drive them towards their goals or crush them in an instant. We often focus on mastering the body, but these battles play out in the mind. I host inspiring athletes and innovators from across the endurance sports industry and explore the trials and tribulations that often play out well before race day and in their personal lives. You will recognize the names, but you won't have heard their stories told like this before. This episode of the Inner Voice Audio Experience is a one-on-one interview with Georgia Simelin. Georgia is Canada's first and only three-sport Olympian. She has represented her country in alpine skiing, ski cross, and track cycling. And she is in pursuit of a fourth Olympic berth with the Team Pursuit Squad in Tokyo for 2020. While her journey is impressive and unique, it hasn't been without challenges. She has overcome horrendous injuries and setbacks throughout her athletic life and you'll hear from her about what it takes to be the best, fostering the resilience to keep going, issues with gender equality in cycling, and the joy she finds in suffering. It was a fascinating conversation to be a part of. Today's episode is presented by Icor Labs Performance CBD. Icor is a natural hemp source of CBD that protects your body from stress, improves athletic recovery, and helps you maintain a positive mental state. They have a special offer for our listeners, which I'll share with you later in the show. For now, enjoy the one and only Georgia Simile. Georgia, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm fantastic. Um, you're in Toronto right now or in Milton at the National Training Centre, I believe? Yes, we uh, Milton, Ontario is where we are based out of, and it's uh, yeah, kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know where Milton is, uh, George is right, it is in the middle of nowhere, but also uh, a legacy facility f- uh, from the Pan Am Games, if I'm correct. Yeah, they built this facility, uh, yeah, for the 2015 Pan Am Games, um, and it, it turned into the Canadian uh, Track Cycling uh, Centre for us. So it's um, it's been unbelievable for the sport really as a whole uh, across the country, and especially in the grass at the grassroots level. Um, there's been a ton of young younger cyclists coming up, and and um, a lot out of Ontario, obviously. But it's been uh, unbelievable for us, really, for the national team, uh, the sprinting team, and the endurance team, just to have a facility here to train um, in the winter. Really, uh, the team, I think, even before my time, a little bit was just uh, heading back and forth down to LA, which just was not conducive. Um, you know, if you're trying to compete against the world's best, to not have your own training facility. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on it there: the the ability for young up and coming cyclists. Um, and not only cycling, because there was other facilities built for the Pan Am Games, but um, the ability for those athletes to have somewhere to train, and but also to rub shoulders with their heroes, uh, I think is super cool as well. Um, and to have a World Cup event there every year is also great. Kudos to Cycling Canada for managing that and making that work. Um, and we've skipped straight to cycling, but I'd love to uh, I'd love to take a little bit of a step back and 
um, share a little bit more of your journey. Now, you're a three-sport Olympian, uh, alpine skiing, ski cross, track cycling. Why don't we share a little bit of your background in sport and maybe start with how you got into skiing? Yeah, sure. Uh, I come from Vancouver, uh, and I have three older brothers. Um, Yeah, very athletic family. Um, My parents... Yeah, put us into as many as many sports as we possibly could. Um, I mean, that was of course of course my doing. I absolutely loved um, playing sports as a kid and and uh, competing and um, yeah, ski racing was one of those, of course. And uh, I think by the age of fifteen or so, fourteen, fifteen, I had to kind of start make make uh, some serious decisions and and I had to drop uh, most of my other sports to to pursue um, alpine skiing. I think I. Yeah, I kind of always had um, a dream of being an Olympian when I was a kid, and and uh, I just I'm super competitive, and and I mean I I absolutely love what I do, and yeah, I saw skiing as an opportunity to um, hopefully make that dream uh, become a reality. That's awesome. Were there any sports that you set aside uh, in that time when you were a kid that? Uh, you missed or that you thought you know maybe I could have had a shot at being a professional whatever is there anything that you that stands out for you as you know maybe a a missed opportunity in another sport uh not much missed but I definitely um I played soccer at a pretty uh high level like when I was you know when you're talking 12 13 14 um and I really loved soccer um I think I made the right decision though to to pursue ski racing Got it. Um, with that in mind, though, you obviously had, um, you've had a lot of injuries and, you know, reading your list of injuries is is, uh, is time consuming um, for anyone. Um, tell us about that. Obviously, you know, skiing is a inherently kind of dangerous sport with that in mind and the risk of injury and crashing. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the injuries you have suffered and, and, and what keeps you going when you kind of faced with you know, another time going through rehab. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely hard, and it has not been easy for me. I'm not going to bore you with, with all of the injuries and go through the list, but, um, I mean, yeah, to name a few, I, like, broke my neck, my back, um, many bones in my wrist, in my, in my body, like hands, legs. Um, but, yeah, I think what, what, oh, what encompasses all of those injuries and all of those hard times that I've experienced um, is, is a genuine passion to continue to do what I love to do. I, you know, to, to put it simply, um, I just don't want to stop. And I have always been willing to do what it takes to rehab as quick as I possibly can and, and to become stronger. Um, I think injuries test us um, as athletes mentally, physically, and I think they make you kind of question what you're doing and uh you know do you want to kind of go through the time um the time needed and, and necessary to put in to put in the work and and to um to get through that obstacle and it has 100 percent always been yes for me yeah um i there must have been a time though where you was you know you sat on the couch after a rehab session or maybe even in the middle of it or a workout coming back from an injury um, where you said, no, enough's enough. I can't do this anymore. Was there, can you remember an instance of where that may have happened? Honestly, 
I mean, yes and no, I think is, is my answer. There have been, let's get it clear, many moments where I've been sitting on my couch and, and you know, crying or, or, you know, yeah, just like completely broken down emotionally, mentally, and feel completely, utterly exhausted. Um, but at the same time, I've always continued to, to get back on my feet, you know, excuse the pun and, and, and whatever that is and, and push through, um, you know, this past injury of mine was by far the most challenging, um, physically and mentally. And again, there was always a light at the end of the tunnel for me that I, that I wanted to continue and push through and, 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 you know, make that light at the end of the tunnel a reality. Um, but again, like I'm not going to sugarcoat it and, and, I mean, gosh, the amount of times that I was, you know, bawling to my girlfriend on FaceTime or, you know, crying to my mom on the phone or um, whatever it was like there, there were a lot of those times. And um, it, it does, it's, uh, it's not, it's not easy for sure. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Is it the, is it the allure of, you know, becoming an Olympian again? Is it getting back to your best or is it simply just the process going through the process again to getting fit and getting competition ready and getting in that mentality that you're ready to race? How much of it is, is that part of it as a, as opposed to, I guess, what you could say would be the result of the work? Uh, I think it's a bit of both. Truthfully, I, I'm one, I feel like I, I'm, I'm a person that I, I pride myself on, on you know, living in the moment and, and living in the present and, and genuinely loving what I do on a daily basis. Um, so I think a lot of it is that. Um, I, I, I don't take things for granted, and, and especially in the last year um, with what I went through, I, I definitely am, I think I see um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not at the, I, I'm at the end of, you know, towards the end of my career and, and I don't take anything for granted. Um, and yeah, I, I genuinely love waking up and, you know, going to the gym or doing a hard session on the bike and, you know, going to the velodrome for the second session in the day when you're completely, you know, completely exhausted and, and having to put in another two, three hours of work, um, physically, mentally, um, uh, I mean, again, it's not easy. And there are for sure days when you wake up and you're like, oh, my God, I just want to sleep. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, I, yeah, I, I love I love both sides of it. The daily, you know, the daily grind, if you will, is 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 right up my alley. Like, I love that stuff. And and at the same time, you know, being on the line, being a, being on the start line, you know, at the top of a ski cross race or, you know, as the before the clock goes to zero on on the track um for like a team pursuit race like that feeling there's nothing that comes that come comes close to it uh for me and and i live for that yeah um talk to me about that feeling of you know you're standing at the start gate um you're looking down the course or you're looking left to right and you've got your competitors next to you or you're you know in the um in the start gates on the track, what's that moment in time, and what's your what's your mind and your inner voice saying to you in those moments? Um, I think it's it's a, uh, I mean, I'm I'm an athlete that goes. I feel I'm I. Uh, oh, it's hard to put this into words. I I rely on facts. So, in the start gate before a race, whatever it is, I'm. I I gain my confidence from past experiences 
Um, if I, you know, have moments of doubts leading into a race or a competition, um, I, I address it and I go through a process of looking back and thinking back of, of past competitions and races that I, that I have completed and, you know, completed well. Um, so again, you kind of like break that down and I go through the cues that I, that I need to focus on right before or right after the start gate, you know, opens or, or what, what, what have you. So, um, you know, if it's team pursuit and I'm, you know, P3, um, so position three up on the track, I just have to tell myself like drive, drive, drive. Like I say that word, you know, like a billion times, um, right before the gun goes off. And as we're, as we're pushing away, um, and that's like my first cue to set myself up for a really good ride. Whether in, in ski cross, you know, I'm looking at the first feature right outside the start gate and, and you know, telling myself like press or push or pop or whatever it may be. Um, and that just sets me up for the next minute of the course. Um, talk to me about what you've been able to transfer between those sports. So, you know, alpine skiing, ski cross and now track cycling. Um, what is that? you know, what are those transferable skills, obviously physically, but then also mentally that you've been able to, to bring across to each of those sports? I think it's, I think it's a bit of a journey. You know, I grew up ski racing, um, doing Alpine and, and, you know, we learn from our mistakes. Um, and, you know, I remember having, I remember competing in my first world cup. Uh, it was actually on Canadian soil and having, you know, CBC cameras literally right in my face right before going into the start hut to, to, to pull out of the gate or to, to push out of the gate um, and feeling like the most nervous I've ever been in my life. Um, and, you know, I've grown so much as an athlete from that first World Cup. Um, and I so I think like my career has, um, you know, it's evolved from sport to sport to sport. And I think I've taken what I've learned from each sport and kind of continued that and brought it into the next sport. So whether I haven't been, let's say, technically or tactically incredibly skilled at the next sport that I've tried, I've brought some skills that maybe other athletes on that, on that current team don't have for where, where it may be, you know, like 10, you know, 10 years on the Olympic or sorry, on the, on a, on a world cup circuit or whatever, or whatever it is. Um, I've brought that, like that mental side to that next sport. And I think that's been a huge, um, it's been a huge help actually for me to find success fairly quickly, um, you know, in ski cross and in track cycling, um, where it would take an athlete that's just learning how to do ski cross or, or you know, a, a development athlete coming up the ranks um, in track cycling um, a bit longer. Yeah, totally. Um with that, I, I, I'm interested to hear about those transitions to those sports and in particular around maybe some of the politics or, you know, some of the people who maybe have been ingrained in those sports for a long time. And here comes Georgia who swoops in and takes a national team spot. Have you have you experienced <laughs> any of that? And, and if so, like, um, yeah, tell me about that experience. Um, yeah, for <laughs> For sure, there was a little, um, let's just say, you know, I, I think I had some conversations going when I told uh, my national team of ski cross that I was committing an entire summer um, and fall 
uh, hopefully to make the track cycling team. And that was the summer of 20 or the spring rather of 2016. Um, uh, sorry, sorry, my, my bad, uh, 2015. So um, just over a year before uh, the two, 2016 Rio summer Olympics. Um, and, you know, I think at one point that my program director of ski cross <laughs> made some calls to sick Canada cycling and said, like, I don't know if you've heard of our athlete, but she's trying to, you know, make your team. And um, I'm pretty sure at one point there were two, you know, program directors telling basically both telling me not to, <laughs> not to do this because <laughs> ski cross was like, you know, this you're making a mistake you should continue to you know do ski cross and then cycling on the other hand was saying um you know this is a team that's ranked second in the world um and there's definitely no time for you to make your way onto you know an elite squad in preparation for the olympic games like there's just no hope yeah uh so i i think the conversations definitely were a bit uh and for sure they were negative to start um but i think kind of as i as I progressed in a, in a very quick um, way over the months, they, those conversations shifted for yeah. sure. Um, I will say like, I didn't jump through any loopholes. I, I, I went through all of the steps that any athlete would go through to make the, the elite squad. Um, you know, that's representing that's, that's uh, showing up at nationals um, in Milton, which are in September, I believe. And then, and then that's going through a development camp with, with the next gen program, like next generation, um, which is the development team. So I, I did that. And then of course my, my transition was just very, very, very quick, but yeah, there was, there were definitely some conversations that were had for sure. I'm sure. Um, I actually watched, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I just recently watched the 30 for 30, uh, documentary on Dion Sanders and his uh, was a you know he was a dual sport uh, player in the professional leagues of Major League Baseball and NFL and his goal at one point was to play uh, Major League Baseball um, playoff game go and play a regular season NFL game and then play uh, an MLB playoff game the next night and unfortunately wow. made it you know he made it back late they benched him and he never got the chance but really his story was one of Hey, I was just trying to inspire the next generation of people who grew up wanting to be footballers or baseballers or both. Do you ever look mm -hmm. at yourself as someone like that who's able to inspire a generation of kids to say, well, you know, I don't necessarily have to focus on one sport from an early age. I can try a whole bunch of things and maybe there is a chance that I could represent Canada or the US or Australia or what have you in multiple Olympics, in multiple disciplines and multiple sports. Yeah, most definitely. I think there's an extreme in the last, you know, decade or so. I think there's been a been a crazy shift in terms of um, parents thinking that their kid needs to compete in ice hockey, you know, seven, eight times a week in order to be successful at ice hockey. And I, I can't understand that thinking because it's so backwards to me, yeah. um, especially at an early age how first of all i mean i really think your kid's going to be burnt out by the time they're 12 or 13 or 14 um and then what are they going to left with they're you know they might not have any hand-eye coordination if they were you know cycling all their life or whatever it is um i think broadening the spectrum of of you know what that kid does at an early age is is incredibly important and 
you know, kids don't have it figured out when they're when they're that age anyway. So so there's just so many things wrong with that with this process, I think, that we're um that that parents are, are doing. And uh I think kids I hope are inspired by, you know, my story and and they can tell themselves, Yeah, you know, I wanna, you know, do two two or three sports until I'm how how at what what age it may be. But and at the same time, I hope I'm inspiring those that are, you know, 20 or 22 or 23 that are saying like, hey, I think I want to try this other sport out um, because, you know, I don't think it's never too late um, is what I like to kind of say. And, and um, you know, the sky's the limit. I know that sounds extremely cliche, but if you have the right support system around you and if you have a burning desire to achieve your goals, you know, anything is possible, really. There, there were, I think, you know, I think I kind of sugarcoated it, but there were a lot of people. Um, and yeah, we're talking like program directors of, of, you know, Canadian sport institutes telling me that I was making a, a, a bad decision. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of stuck with my gun. I, I had the support of my parents, um, a community in Vancouver. Uh, and, and again, I think I put myself out there. I think there's, there's power in, 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 in feeling vulnerable and, um, you know, feeling exposed in times of uncertainty, but I don't think you're going to, you're not going to see the outcome unless you actually put yourself in those situations. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with you about kids focusing on one sport from such a young age. I, the best athletes I've spoken to, um, are all like yourself, like myself growing up, Mm -hmm. playing many, many different sports, trying many, many different things, and then there is a point in time where you may have to make a decision, but until then, um, mm-hmm. there's no need to focus wholly and solely on one sport, as you mentioned. Um, how much of that do you think comes from programs these days? So, you know, a lot of programs back in Australia are focused on, you know, elite development from an early age. And I know that there's some mm-hmm. in Canada that are like, you know, if you're not in the system by a certain age, there's no chance for you. Like, how much of it comes from the top, and how much of it do you think is coming from parents these days that you know want little johnny or little jackie to be a hockey player or a soccer player or whatever have you yeah i mean i to be honest i I don't i don't know if i have an answer for you i don't know i i hope to um in the in the next chapter of my life i definitely want to kind of transition into the um business side of sports and and i hope i um you know experience a whole new world out there and, and see kind of firsthand where it is coming from um again i think if you you know if i remember i remember when i was you know maybe 13 um i told my soccer coach that i can only make um like i can only make games that are past 12 o'clock or something i think my dad and i went and went and talked to him and said that because i was ski training all saturday and sunday morning so I said, if you can possibly push our home games to like 3 p.m. or something, then I can make more of our home game soccer, like our home soccer games. Yeah. And he did just that. Like there was, there, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. You can you can work with your coaches. And if you show them that you're a committed athlete, they're going to see that. Because I think the, 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 the craziest and like the most powerful thing that um, athletes that excel when they are older and that do make the national team and, you know, and, and athletes that do go to the Olympic games and represent their country. Those are athletes that have like kind of an X factor. They're, 
there's something, there's just something ingrained in us that um, is a, I think, you know, it's part, it's a crazy determination. Um, It's a willpower that is, is like, you know, very different than, than the common person. Um, And that's hard to teach at an early age. So if you have that and you have that in multiple sports, your coaches are going to see that. Yeah, I love that. I love how you describe that. And I think there definitely uh, is space for a study on like personality traits and commonalities between mm-hmm. elite athletes, because you're right. Once again, I get to, uh, you know, I've chatted to hundreds of elite performing athletes and weekend warriors and the whole gamut of endurance athletes. And I think this, the thing that stands out to me the most in the conversations I have with high performers is um, this competitive drive and this uh, will to win that I don't think you can teach and it just is like naturally ingrained in them to the point of like you know they'll race uh, and compete in anything that comes their way it's not just their sport it's like they're competing in life and um, like it's a it's a cool thing to be able to see but you're right like it needs it probably needs to be fostered once it's you know seen and and developed which is actually Mm -hmm. you know a good kind of segue to Talking about B210, and I've had the privilege of, of meeting Jen um, Hale a few times, and we sit on a board together in Vancouver for the LTS uh, Foundation. And, um, you know, I really love her story, and I love what she's been able to do for Canadian sport. But why don't you share a little bit about your experience as a, a B210 athlete and, and what's that what that's meant um, for you and, and your progression through your career? Yeah, ironically, B210 actually started supporting me during kind of the mayhem of my transition from ski cross to track cycling. So where two national teams were, you know, there were just a lot of question marks around my name with both of those sports. B210 actually said, you know, we are behind you 100% and we, um, we're committed to supporting you in whatever you actually choose to do. Um, so I think having that support um, transitioning to, to track cycling was a huge, uh, I think it just gave me confidence. You know, it, it was the first time that other people besides myself kind of said, we believe in you as well. Of course I had the support of my parents and, you know, my close loved ones, but, um, this was a, you know, incredibly well-respected, um, entity and business that said, we are behind you. So that was, that was huge. Um, kind of moving towards track for the next uh, year and a half. And they, B210 was behind me when I switched back to ski cross and, and was back on, back on a glacier, like within a month after the Rio games. Um, Just knowing that, I think it's just actually having the confidence, knowing, knowing that you can focus on what you need to do and not try to raise a bunch of money on the side and, and figure out how to, you know, pay for physio or massage when you're home or, um, you know, different types of equipment or whatever it else it, it is that you need as an athlete. Um, they, they, they cover that and they, and they have that and they, um, these are, they believe in you. These are people that, you know, want to see you succeed and believe wholeheartedly that you are going to succeed because they don't support everyone. And, um, you know, it, it means a lot for sure. Having B210 pay for my entire rehab, um, this past year. And I mean, we're talking, yeah, like well over $10,000, like well over. So, um, having paid that out of pocket and, 
um, or having had to pay that out of pocket just would, you know, it would have just been, um, it would have been hard for sure. And not only did they pay for it, like I was, I was and still am in the best hands possible in Canada that, that support me, whether that's, you know, nutrition, um, physiology, uh, psychology, um, physiotherapy, uh, strength and conditioning, um, they, they make it happen. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think there's, you know, there's been many uh, fantastic stories that have come um, from that program. Um, is there an opportunity, you think, for programs like that to, um, you know, continue to grow and develop in maybe lesser known sports? Um, is that something you, you know, you talked about the business side of sport once you've finished? Is that something that could be of interest to you in, you know, developing or supporting programs like B210 to, you know, find the next uh, dual sport, multi-sport Olympian uh, across the country? Yeah, I, I think they kind of took a risk on me, truthfully, because, you know, track cycling in Canada is not the most popular sport, as we know. Um, and yet they were still behind me. So, um, I mean, that meant so much to me, obviously. Um, I, at the same time, I think there's, you know, as a whole in the country, there's still a major lack in funding for, you know, development athletes, um, for a lot of national team athletes. On the Alpine ski team, for example, there were many athletes that went to Pyeongchang that had to pay upwards of $30,000 a year to ski race for the season. Um, and that is just, it's just ridiculous. Like it, it just shouldn't be happening. And there's a reason why I think in Alpine skiing, it takes, you know, it takes a longer time to to pair and match up and be um, be equal with you know with the rest of Europe because they are funded at a very early age. So B two ten is amazing, um, and I, I I still think there's a gap though in um, the in, you know the entire sports system in Canada when uh, you know I think we just got our carding money bumped up this past year, but I think it had been over like ten or fifteen years that it was that it had changed. Um, Adam Vancouverden was a, a big lead in, in making that change. And, um, you know, I think it's going to take more leaders like him to, to kind of speak, speak up for ourselves and, and help make that change. Yeah. Well, I guess it's hard when you're still in sport, right? It's you're, you, it is. Yeah. You you're know, busy. You're, you're busy. <laughs> yeah. You have some things on your plate. So, you know, it is hard while you're in the moment. It's, you know, you deal with the circumstances as they're presented to you, as you talked about earlier, but it's really, you know, it's going to take, um, people like Adam, um, and people like Jen to really, mm -hmm. um, you know, create a, a, a platform for athletes to be able to, you know, not have to pay out of pocket to represent their, um, represent their nation. Do you think there's also an element that, um, you know, outside of the Olympics, um, you know, a lot of the general public don't necessarily have an interest in some of these sports um, until it is the, you know, the week before and the week after the Olympics. Yeah, most definitely. I, I, I've had this conversation with, with a few people and, and it's like part of you, you know, during the Olympics or, or recently after the Olympics, you know, part of you is actually like a bit annoyed when people that you you know, haven't maybe connected with in a very long time or reach out to you and say, Oh my God, I watched your race. Like it was so exciting. And because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, Oh yeah, I had a world cup on television, <laughs> like the month before the Olympic games. Like, did you watch that? Like, yeah. and, and it, 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 it is a bit irritating, but <clears throat> at the same time, 
you know, of course you're excited and, and you're and you're grateful that, you know, the entire country world was watching you compete, at, you know, at the Olympic Games. Yeah. Um, I think there's yeah, it's kind of like a double standard of, of, you know, the TV is only television is only going to pick up the sports that are extremely popular. You know, like all the you know all the major league sports. Um, you know, the odd like bobsleigh is on TV. I think um, the odd ski race is on TV. But you know, track cycling. You know, like biathlon. Like those sports are not on television. Um, I mean, I think biathlon might be even. I'm not even. I don't even know. But I get like how how is track cycling, for example, going to get more money when when people don't even have the access to watch it or they have to pay like twenty bucks a month in order to stream it on their computer? Yeah. Like it's a it's a bad it's kind of a snowball effect that needs to kind of stop. And I think, um, I mean, and the conversation of equality and, and equal pay and in, in a sport like cycling is ridiculous. I, I, you know, grew up in two sports where ski cross and Alpine for the most part is, is fairly equal between, you know, women and men in terms of, um, at least like pay like uh, prize money, but I mean you know cycling is just yeah. like it's astronomical the difference of men and, and women cycling. But you know we know why it's because the men's tours are on TV and people watch them and they get sponsors. But I think it actually will take one of these days like a big company to step up and that has the money to potentially you know lose a little at the beginning, but to to gain more at the end where they may step up and say you know what we're gonna sponsor this women's race equal pay to the men's and we're you know we're challenging other companies to do the same thing i think it's it's going to take something of that conversation to uh to kind of get it going because it, it's it's crazy like i i had never seen it i'd never heard about it um of course i had heard about it right i i hadn't i hadn't experienced it kind of firsthand until i was in the sport of cycling yeah and i it's a conversation that definitely needs to be had and i think um, I may be wrong, but I know that up until very recently, it was actually mandated in the UCI, you know, guidebook that women couldn't mm-hmm. be paid as much as men, um, which I think is, you know, is it outlandish. Um, I also mm-hmm. think that, you know, there's sports like triathlon, which have done a really good job with equal pay right from the beginning of that sport. And, you know, it's only 30 or 40 years old now, but they've done a really good job. But there's also issues there with, um, you know, equal numbers, um, uh, of men and women being able to compete in the world championships in Kona. So there's still, mm-hmm. you know, even the sports that are, you know, a little bit further along and more advanced in the, in the parody conversation, um, still have their issues. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's a, a, you know, I've got a young daughter and I want her to be able to have as much as if not more opportunity than everyone else in the world, um, when it comes mm-hmm. to sport and life. So, you know, from, even for me, it's like opening my eyes to some more of these conversations. Um, mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in talking to you about is, um, is cycling and, and what you've learned kind of about the sport. You know, we talked a little bit about some of the issues, but what is it that you love about cycling? And, um, yeah, talk, talk to me about, you know, that process that you've gone through over the last few years, you know, getting on the track and, and, and out on mm-hmm. the road in your cross training and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's funny. I can't. I, can, I don't think I can count on my hands the amount of times that people have said, "What do you like better, like ski cross or cycling? What's more fun?" Um, because I think they're they are so different. They are, you know, I think at the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, but I can say, cycling. I don't think there's a sport that is 
more rewarding than the sport of cycling. Um, pushing your limits for, you know, whether it's a track session for, you know, four and a half minutes or five minutes on the track as a team, or, you know, going out and, and doing a crazy hard road ride, um, you know, as a team, but, you know, for obviously your individual efforts are on the bike um, and coming home and, and being like completely and utterly exhausted to the brink of like, you know, you just, you just like fall on, fall onto the couch when you get into the house there. I don't, that feeling to me is, is like, is, is, uh, is, is truly amazing. Um, yeah. It's definitely one of the most rewarding sports I have, I have done, but they're so different, honestly. I, uh, yeah, of course, ski cross is, is very, very short. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's a minute, roughly a minute and a half. Um, and there's so many things that can happen in a minute and a half. Whereas team pursuit, for example, um, I like to say it's like very calculated, you know, if, if, if the four of us do our jobs, we will go as fast as we know we'll go. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's very few variables, um, in a sense when you're on the track and, and I actually love that about cycling, um, and being able to, you know, repeat your efforts and see like physically see yourself get stronger. I obviously, um, with my last injury, um, just over a year ago now, uh, I, you know, essentially had to, I mean, I, I did have to learn how to walk again, um, and, you know, had to rebuild my body back to, you know, I, uh, a machine essentially and, and, and a strong one at that, but seeing myself change like every day, almost from learning how to walk to, you know, getting on a bike to, you know, doing a, doing a, a body squat to, you know, doing a squat with the barbell on my back to, you know, doing my first single leg jump, which is kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, and of course, just putting in all the, all the hours on the bike that I've put into, um, it's pretty crazy to, you know, push the same, push the same watts and see your heart rate drop, for example, or yep. whatever. And, and, you know, do the same effort for 20 minutes and, and just see your power go, you know, go up like a day after you did the same thing yesterday. That, that for me has been, um, uh, you know, very challenging at times, but extremely rewarding. Yeah, I bet. And how much of that do you think is, um, you know, thinking before your, your, your injury and, and thinking now, but, um, how much of that is because you were relatively new to the sport that some of those physical changes and, and adaptations happened maybe a little quicker for you? Um, do you think that that was the case initially? And then is it also the case as you're coming back and, and rehabbing again and, and getting back to top condition? Oh, for sure. I think in, in, in both, um, time frames when I, when I first joined cycling in 2015 and when I, uh, got back on my bike and, and I really only started to kind of do real training, um, and legitimate training, uh, in October of, of last year. Um, it, I think both have been a result of me being extremely new to the sport and, and my physiology coming from a very different sport. Um, but I will say having played so many other sports as a kid growing up and, and actually spending a fair amount of time on my bike, even on a stationary bike as a ski racer, I have that, I, or I had that kind of a pretty good aerobic base um, as a ski racer transitioning um, into cycling that, um, that was obviously, uh, you know, crucial for, for me to kind of get to where I was. But um, 
yeah, I think it, it played a it played a role in both in both times for sure. Yeah, and I think um, you mentioned it earlier, but um, I agree that you know those long days on a bike or pushing yourself or going a little further or a little longer than you thought you could are you know very very special moments, and I always describe it as kind of sharing the war story. So you know, no one comes back mm-hmm. from a ride, you know, an easy hour ride that nothing really happened um, with any interesting stories, but it's the days. You know, for an example, on the weekend, I rode for five hours and it was, you know, below zero and it was raining and it was so miserable. But I came back and I like oh, had the biggest. Like yeah, but it was the best. <laughs> you come back and you're like, yeah. it's hell at the time. But then, you totally. know, you're standing in the shower and you're like, oh, my goodness, that was like that was incredible. But um, yeah, talk to me about some of those days. Maybe you can remember um, out on a bike where it was, you know, it was too much, but you, you pushed a little further than you thought you thought you could. And you kind of came home exhausted, but with a cool story to share. Do, do any days like that stand out in your memory? Yeah, there are for sure a couple kind of when I first joined the team, because I, I didn't have, there weren't many days to lose. Um, and I, I really knew nothing. So when, when I quit, when I, you know, kind of made the elite squad and we were transitioning into the road scene, um, that was, once again something very new for me and I just remember kind of my coach telling me like he would give you know we'd go out let's say for a three-hour ride and have like you know three 20-minute efforts to do on that ride or um yeah or you know four 15-minute efforts what, what, whatever it was and he would kind of give everyone their zones like you know he'd, he'd say yeah like Kirsty, Steph, Ali, like these are your zones, Jasmine. And, and, you know, we would go out like, you know, casually go up to, to the, to the mountain that we were going to do our climbs on and, and uh, kind of everyone would kind of do their, you know, some people would maybe follow each other and, uh, or some people would do it on their own. And, and he would say, Georgia, just like stick behind, you know, stick behind this teammate's wheel. Um, and I just remember like initially struggling really hard to keep up with, with my teammates. And then, you know, there came a point where, you know, the next camp I was like passing them or doing it on my own and, and like knowing just like having that confidence and knowing what I was doing. And then, I mean, I remember one, one, one day um, I was following, following a teammate uh, who, who was really strong and I followed her for, I think like the three out of the four efforts. And then in the last effort, I just like, pastor on the end and it was just like the most rewarding feeling ever thinking to myself like knowing how strong she is and thinking like there's no way I'm going to be as strong as her you know and then just doing it like just actually doing it and seeing you know being completely wiped at the top but feeling yeah like just like it was the like the most rewarding day and um on the track I think like I've had so many more of those memories but um just like finishing we would, we'll do a lot of like, uh, um, over gear, um, like over gear four K's. So, um, or, or under gear four K's rather where like, we're like just spinning on the track for, for four kilometers. And it's actually pretty hard to, to, to keep up with the team. And, and at one point maybe there's, you know, four of the girls and one of them will, will say, will, will get out, like they, they won't be able to keep up. And then I just remember, you know, like bridging the gap and, and sticking on a wheel and finishing the effort, like little things like that yeah. um, is, is definitely, um, yeah, what got me to where I am today. Yeah, that, that's cool. I, I appreciate you sharing those. And I think um, one thing I'm really interested in hearing from you about is 
the team dynamic. So you talk about, you know, these training camps where you're riding together and some of mm-hmm. your efforts are done alone, but then obviously a lot of the training you would do together on the track would be as a team. Um, you know, talk to me about team dynamic, team dynamics, like coming from individual sports and then, you know, cementing yourself in a place in an elite squad. What, what's that experience been like for you? Um, it's been, it's been amazing. Actually. Uh, I remember like my very first camp with, with the elite team here, um, was a five day camp. And I remember my coach saying, um, you're going to float, meaning like, I'm not going to be in any of the efforts on the track. So I was going to be, you know, like 10 feet or whatever, like, you know, two bike lengths back from the fourth rider and, and floating. So still doing the effort, but um, not being in the effort. And he's like, you're going to float for the week. Um, and that's all you're going to do. Um, and I remember, you know, showing up day one and just being so, so freaking nervous. And, and just like, I'm a pretty talkative person and I'm like a very, uh, yeah, I'm like pretty outspoken member and, and, you know, like, yeah, loud, loud girl on the team now, but I just remember like keeping my mouth shut for those five <laughs> days. And like literally not saying a word. I, I tried to take in everything um, from my teammates and learn as much as I could. And I think having that um, perspective and, and understanding like that social awareness um, was actually very pivotal for me to then create very good relationships with the girls in the team. Um, I think it was, it was, you know, there, there are, the fact is like there are GPSs on our bikes. So you see how fast everyone's going. When we get off the track, we, we look at a graph on a computer and, and we see how fast whoever is, on the, whoever is at that time on the front, um, you know, before they make their exchange, we see how fast um, they're going and if they've dropped or, or picked up the pace. So um, I, you know, I eventually worked my way into the line and, and kind of proved my worth and, and, and kind of showed them, um, you know, proved, proved like my power uh and i think yeah kind of not coming in and and you know saying like oh i've been to two olympics or yeah. whatever like even though that's the most irrelevant thing to say like not having that attitude i think really actually played a role in in again yeah creating good good relationships relationships with um girls that even aren't on the team now that i'm still very close with yeah i think you 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 described it perfectly like having that social awareness of how to actually mm-hmm. um you know uh, integrate yourself into that team and and not mm-hmm. ostracize yourself right from the start i think um super important um talk to me about your first time on a track bike like getting on the track uh <laughs> is a very daunting experience for anyone the, doing it the first time tell me what that was like for you um so my um my first camp with it with the national team was actually in 20. 20- 14 um and it was actually down in la um so they they were still building the pan games facility here in milton and uh i emailed cycling canada and funny enough who responds is a strength and conditioning coach that was previously previously working with alpine canada and had recently retired or recently uh stepped down from alpine canada and he actually responds saying hey georgia it's matt um, I'm all, all we'll, we'll get you and we'll get you into this camp because the, the, um, um, the sprinting team was doing kind of a talent ID kind of search across the country, um, for, uh, for, uh, for, for sprinters. So I didn't know what I was signing myself up for really, but I showed up in LA and did not have a bike and, <laughs> um, 
they put me on a track bike and they said, kind of away you go. Um, there was another girl who had, who was a bobsled athlete, um, a bobsled athlete, uh, sorry, from, a, from Calgary, who was uh, new to cycling as well. And we kind of were both, yeah, in this, in this experience together and, and learned how to ride a track bike um, together while, uh, while the rest of the development team was, was uh, kind of, yeah, doing, doing their workout for the day. But it was actually pretty funny because within like five days, the, the um, Kate O'Brien, actually, she um, went to Rio uh, with Monique Sullivan as the other sprinter um, for the team sprint. So she, um, she and I went to, went to Rio together and, uh, after the first five days of, of like learning how to ride a bike, we ended up doing, I'm sure it was like some flying 200s or whatever. And I think we're, um, let's just say our leg, our leg strength um, was quickly seen to the coach <laughs> uh, that he needed to kind of invest in these two, in this skier and this bobsled athlete. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually been connected with Kate <laughs> recently. Um, cool. And she, yeah, she's got an amazing story as well. And obviously is, you know, has gone through some challenges recently herself. Um mm-hmm. Do you still stay in touch with with Kate as well? Um, not as much. Um, I re- I recently saw her. I think this past summer, and yeah, we went for a ride together, and it was it was awesome to 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 connect again. But um, no, not not as much for sure as before. Yeah. Um. Uh. Let's wrap it up pretty quickly here. But I I would love to hear your um thoughts on going to the Olympics. Um. And the differences between the summer and the winter Olympics, and kind of what that general experience has been like for you now that you've been to three? Yeah, I, I guess I, it, before going to Rio, I, I, I guess I, I really didn't know what I was, uh, um, what I was, you know, getting myself into, but um, the winter and summer Olympics are very different. Um, there are, uh, for example, um, in Sochi in the um, 2014 games, I think there were just over 2000 athletes that, that, that attend that attended the Olympics and in Rio, there were over 10,000. Um, so just the sheer size and the volume of, of athletes is, you know, it's, it's way, way, way different. And, you know, five times as big, um, at the same time, I remember going to Rio and just like walking into the food court and, and feeling very, very short. Actually, (laughs) I never expected that, but you know, you have, you have basketball, you have handball, you have rowing. Um, there's just volleyball. There's so many sports that um, there are a lot that, um, you know, produce a lot of tall athletes. And I just rem- remember being like, what the hell? Like I'm very short here. Um, and definitely not experiencing that in, in Sochi. Um, but I think competing, yeah, like competing as a team and crossing that finish line um, as a team in Rio uh, and, and, uh, you know, earning ourselves a bronze medal, that was definitely one of the most, um, memorable and best experiences of my life. I think just, there was something very magical about doing it as a team. I, I can't, uh, it's hard to kind of put in, put it into words, but, um, yeah, I really hope we, uh, we, we repeat, um, or, or better our performance actually. Um, and I, and I think we have a pretty good shot at doing that in uh, yeah, a year and a half from now. Amazing. And then what's the, what's the build up like for you? Um, is there test events? Um, you know, personally, obviously you, you still have to get back to, to shape, but what about as a team world cups, test events, uh, what's on the radar over the next 18 months? 
yeah, we're heading uh, in two days actually to go to Poland for uh, um, the World Championships. So we're competing on the 27th and 28th of January um, in in the World Champs. And then, uh, you know, it's taking a little break and then we're heading into the road season. Um, and then we're kind of, we're starting, kind of starting fresh and, and then doing our, our pretty intense build um, for the next, yeah, for the next many months up until Tokyo. Um, of course, that's going to be involved um, involving uh, World Cups. Uh, I think we're doing a couple around the world, like three maybe, um, and then doing a hell of a lot of training um, and focusing um, here in Milton. And um, yeah, I think we'll be spending a little a little time in New Zealand, hopefully, uh, when the weather's um, too cold to, to train outside here in Canada. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's when it's go time. Amazing. And then do you have a road team that you, uh, that you race with or do you just kind of, I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Tell me about yeah, that. I'm on uh, 20, 2020. So, uh, they're one of the, yeah, one of the top women's, um, women's, uh, team in North teams in North America. Um, two of my teammates on my track team, uh, Jasmine and Steph Rorda, uh, Jasmine Glazier, uh, are, um, on that team. And, uh, yeah, they, they definitely, (laughs) I'm definitely a little bit of a wild card for them, but I think my teammates actually talked me up a big, in a big way and said, she's uh, pretty strong and she learns, she uh, learns quickly and she does what she's told and, uh, she'll she'll be a good member of the team. So I hope I uh, don't let them down, but I'm, I'm really excited to, to kind of, yeah, experience the whole road scene on, on a pro team and, and, and be involved in that. Yeah. That'll be a lot of fun. And, um, mm-hmm. I think you guys will probably be at tour of California, I believe. Oh, we are. Yeah. We, awesome. uh, we definitely will be there. Yeah. Amazing. I'm, I'm excited. We're going to, uh, we're going to rent an RV and, uh, follow the race and spend some time with a few of the teams. So, uh, Epic. I, I look forward <laughs> to, uh, to seeing you in action and, uh, and, and shaking hands and high-fiving and, uh, and wishing you all the best in, California awesome. in May Thank as well. So, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, this has been fun, Georgia. I really appreciate you making time, and um, I'll definitely be following the journey over the next uh, 18 months. And all okay. going well, four-time Olympian. Um, and uh, hopefully, yeah, yeah I'm, uh, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people who are uh, who are cheering for you to to make it happen as well. So yeah, thank you, thank you so much for your time. Is there any uh, any way that people can kind of stay in touch with you, reach out to you if needed, follow your yeah, journey over in- the next little bit? Instagram is probably the best. Yeah, G Simmerling. Okay, perfect. We'll put a yep. we'll put a link there for everyone to uh, to follow as well. So uh, awesome. Enjoy yourself up in Toronto, and uh, yeah, look forward to catching up uh, later in the spring. Wicked. Thank you so much again. Awesome. Thanks, Georgia. Have a good one. Bye. What an amazing athlete and human being. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Inner Voice Audio Experience. If you did, please share this episode with a friend. Take a screenshot of your phone and drop it in an Instagram story. And please check out our website, innervoice.life where we feature inspiring and unique content directly from your favorite endurance athletes. And thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, iCore Labs Performance CBD. If you're like most endurance athletes, you have a high level of motivation. In fact, whether it's setting a new training goal or upgrading your diet, you're always looking for ways to improve. When you've got the willpower and drive on your side, you can push your body to do incredible things. I personally have been using iCore for a couple of months now as I train for some epic gravel cycling races that I've signed up for this year. The, eth- the effects have been incredible. From muscle recovery to a better night's sleep, the benefits I've received from iCore Lab CBD have been really eye-opening. Five pumps in the morning, five pumps at night, 
and if I've had an especially hard workout, I'll take an additional five pumps throughout the day. As an aging athlete who still wants to get the best out of themselves, I couldn't recommend iCore highly enough. If you're curious if iCore CBD is right for you, they have a special offer for you to give it a shot. 15% off each and every order of iCore from their website if you use the code INNERVOICE. So head to iCoreLabs.com, give it a try. I think you really feel the benefits. Thanks again for being part of the Inner Voice community. It means a lot. I'm Travis McKenzie, and this is the Inner Voice Audio Experience.